Welcome to Campfire Football. I'm Sebastian North. This is episode 115, a Premier League review with Socrates podcast host Jake Marchesani. So, about three weeks, a month ago or so, one of the players that uh, is on the high school team that I help coach tells me he was on a flight and he sat next to this guy who runs his podcast called the Socrates Podcast. Now, I understood the play on words and thought it was clever. And just the recommendation from a player, just took it, went, looked the guy up, and really enjoyed the podcast. He's a local like me. We're both Colorado boys. And we wanted to go through and provide a Premier League review of the past weekend. Enjoy. Jake Marchesani, am I pronouncing that correctly? Yes, exactly correctly. Okay, good, good. And you run the Socrates podcast. So first, I just want you to talk a little bit about the show, how you decided to start it, why you decided to start it, and why it's worth a good listen, because I I believe it is. So take it away. Thank you very much. Yeah. And thanks for uh, having me on and just talking soccer. Um, You know, I played, I grew up in Colorado and played soccer my whole life, Um, played in high school when High school was a little bit more, I would say, maybe competitive or um, uh, a little bit more of a big deal. Um, So I played in high school, played club, and then went to the Masters College in Southern California on a scholarship. It's an NAIA school and um, had a good career there, was an All-American. We had a really good season in 2009. We we, uh, went to the national championship game and lost to Lindsey Wilson from Kentucky. And uh, it was a great experience playing in, in college. And I kind of ended my playing career there. Um, wish I would have maybe explored a little bit more of playing after college, but ended up um, just kind of getting into working and got married. My wife and I uh, got, we've been married for nine years now. And uh, but I never gave up my watching soccer. So I had somebody's login for NBC Sports uh, and watched watched every game I could from the Premier League on my you know computer iPad uh, when we were a young married couple, and just never really you know stopped watching soccer. Been watching soccer you know f- my whole life, and I'm I'm 33 now. I have three kids, uh, three daughters. And I work in financial services and I just was feeling like I needed to get around soccer more and wanted to find a way to, uh, to do that. So I had an idea to start a soccer podcast just for fun, you know, and see where it goes. And it's related to a few other soccer related projects that I have going. Um, but I asked a friend of mine what I should name it. Cause I was having trouble coming up with a name And he thought of Socrates and I thought it was a great play on words uh, because the goal of the podcast is to try to have a little bit more of an intellectual discussion and analysis of soccer. You know, uh, I do feel like a lot of pundits and a lot of analysts really go down the path of being very overly critical and uh, reactionary and you know, one week they're singing somebody's praises, the next week they're throwing them in the trash, you know, and I wanted to just maybe take a, a, an approach where we could analyze the tactics, the formations, 
and try to really have an objective conversation about soccer. And I think that uh, that is my goal. I, I, I try to achieve that every week. And um, so, you know, try to paint the picture a little bit. I know sometimes when you're talking about the game without visuals, you really have to, you know, pick your words carefully and try to, you know, use some descriptive words to bring somebody into what you're describing so they can picture how the game is being played. But that's the goal. We uh, I, we post every um, Tuesday. So we'll have another one coming up uh, tonight as well. And uh, yeah, just having fun with it and looking to engage some some listeners, have another outlet for people to listen. And we definitely focus on the Premier League. Um, but we will, as since um, uh, Champions League and Europa and Conference League are getting started, we'll touch on that a little bit as well. And uh, that's a little bit of, yeah, that's where I came came about with the idea and wanted to get it get it going. Well, for anyone who has been li- following, listening to me for a while, especially people close to me who who are you know personal friends of mine, they'll be like, "Oh, this is this is why you you guys you decided you wanted to be on the show together." First of all, uh, we we didn't have to figure out time differences for this call. No, nope. we both live in Colorado, so this is easy. That's <laughs> uh, we both grew up in Colorado, both grew up playing Colorado, so that's. It's a it's a nice little connection. And I think anyone who's listened to me speak knows that I just also get a little bit bogged down by the reactionary nature and culture that is associated with the game. Obviously, it's something that is fully built in as a part of it. But uh, I the reason I started this as well was primarily the same thing. I basically got sick and tired of hearing the same attitude i would say more more than anything else and was like we just need more people to bring at least some different kind of attitude to the whole thing mm-hmm. um and and that means how do you approach a subject do you say well you know liverpool after three matches have no wins and i hilariously enough read an article about the seventh year curse of Klopp's career where at Mainz and Dortmund, everything sort I of saw that. the wheels came off then. And it is a really interesting, like, you know, I think there is worth, it's worth looking into, right. As a deep, as a deep dive, not as a conspiracy way, but how does he build a team? How does he plan for the future? Mm-hmm. You know, but then all of a sudden they go and they win nine nil and that conversation right. sounds like it should be in the bin. Right. Right. So this, this is why it'll be fun. I think we uh, will we'll eventually need to f- just find a way to keep attacking different subjects over the course of, sure. of uh, the future here. So why don't we start with the Premier League this weekend? Uh, the narratives going in were pretty interesting, right? You had Chelsea are in a desperate need for results. Man United need to follow up what they did on Monday. Uh, and with the first match of the weekend, so they they closed out last week and they start this weekend. Right. You're a United fan. Just let's start there. Let's start. Sure. There. It's five thirty a.m. for us. Yep. Got up and watched. Um, yeah, I always try to get up at for the five thirty a.m. game, whatever it, whatever whoever's playing, um, because you know my family's still sleeping, so I can watch it uninterrupted. <laughs> And of course, when it's Manchester United, then it's an extra motivation to get up and watch. And of course, everybody was excited. You know, we had 
Casemiro signed, you know, earlier in the week. I think it's, I think it's a good signing, not the, not the one that everybody wanted, or maybe it felt a little bit against the grain of where, you know, Eric Ten Hag seems like he wants to go with his track record with Ajax building with a younger squad. But I do think it was a much needed position. And I, I think that Casemiro is going to be a great player, you know, for United, hopefully for a few years. I don't think he gets injured very much. I mean, when I saw him at Real Madrid, it felt like he was always in the squad. Obviously, he's the first choice with Brazil. So uh, we had that signing and then coming in against Southampton, who I I do feel like Southampton could potentially struggle this season, maybe be in, in the relegation area. They they didn't really sign too many players. Of course, they brought in a couple young guys, um, but uh, I was curious how they're going to, how their season's going to pan out for them, but they're always a tricky team. And, um, you know, Ralph Hasenhutl went back to his 4-2-2-2, uh, which he started off not against Leeds the previous week, and then he switched to it. And they had a little bit of a comeback, um, you know, 2-2. So uh, he played that and United came out with, uh, you know, well, Ten Hag made some tough calls against Liverpool, bringing in Varane and uh, Martinez and uh, Maguire and Ronaldo on the bench. But it was the right call. Uh, those those two center backs look really good together. Um, I like the pairing. And I, I felt like there was a little bit of a let off, but not too much. They didn't come out pressing and attacking on the front foot as much as they did against Liverpool. I thought they were flying against Liverpool. It was a little bit more maybe composed um, from United. You know, I think they were trying to just take another step forward, you know, uh, and the goal was great. Great team goal. Yeah, Outside that of really that nice goal, really nice. Yeah. Goal. Um, outside of that, you know, not a whole lot. It was a, it was a little bit of a, there wasn't too much either way. I felt like, um, and, and I'm, I'm, I was still waking up during that game. So <laughs> not, I'm not remembering as much as I, as I hope, but I just felt like it was a good performance. They steadied the ship. They didn't nothing too crazy. Um, but you know, they're starting to build on what, what the manager wants. So I thought good. They needed that, that result to follow up against Liverpool. And now I think there's opportunities to, to build. They got Anthony signed is signing, uh, yep. which I thought uh, another hundred we'll million see. dollar signing. We'll see what happens. Um, I feel like they have a lot of work, man. United has a lot of work to do in their scouting and transfers to, to kind of build a better squad moving forward. But he wanted to go. I think he'll be hopefully a, a good addition. Um, but yeah, it was a good overall, good performance, a good win, and uh, they needed it for sure. Yeah, I mean, it, uh, you said on your show, sort of in the follow up to to that game, you did your United are back. Maybe I yeah. thought that was great. Uh, <laughs> they needed to follow up what was a gutsy performance and what's a derby, right? Cause you can, you can always get riled up for, you know, Liverpool, man United. If, if you don't like they did last, like they didn't last season, then it looks way worse, but mm -hmm. this time around. Yeah. It was just like, go and do the same thing against Southampton. You're, you're almost guaranteed to come up with a result. Right. Uh, I think to your points, Casemiro, I think is a good signing look 
it's clear after Pogba left and then a bunch of other players, you're right? Matic was gone, Mata was gone, what, what, however many central players you can think of. They, they lost a lot. So Casemiro comes in. Uh, the idea that he is aging is funny to me because he's 30. Um, right. I'm 36 and I'm like, well, like Ronaldo's 37 and, you know, Lewandowski's 34. And there's just these guys actually now do get into their later 30s before their bodies break down if they're taken care of it's just not what it was 15 20 years ago the sports science is so much better these guys from the day they signed their pro contract have been looked after immaculately well so we should be seeing players get to 35 36 before they really start to to go downhill so i think this five-year deal for casemiro with the one-year option for a 30-year-old makes a lot of sense it, sure now now he just needs to be good but i mean the guy right. is the starting anchor good. for brazil so i yeah I, I think it's been interesting to hear people be a little bit cautious about that one anthony that's a gamble right 90 million for my ex that's a gamble as a chelsea mm-hmm. fan i'm like look 80 million for fafana gamble right. once you spend that kind of money and, and there's been studies done about this like there's a certain amount that once it goes over that players almost never fulfill that potential for whatever Mm -hmm. reason, whether it's the weight of it or whether it's our perception of what they should be doing. So, yeah, I I think after United uh, scored, they really, that's where you got to see the nerves come in of like, Oh crap. Like we really need to get through the rest of this. And yeah. And then to your point on Southampton, they basically, for the last two or three seasons, it's been under Hasenhutl, where they've, they will have Champions League form for like a two-month period of the season. And right. it'll get them into like seventh or eighth for a little bit. And then they'll, they'll, you know, they'll fiddle around a little bit, and then they'll have a relegation form for like three months. But, but that Champions League form that they had in like October, November – basically got them safety right so there's a question about complacency maybe once they do well but they are also a team that is young and so they're gonna blow hot and cold i i really do like the manager i like hassan a lot so i hope they don't struggle this season but they could they could i I think there's more candidates for that the main one i would say is lester i think in terms of sleeper pick so they lose to 10-man chelsea Mm-hmm. Who, again second week in a row <laughs> yeah and i mean chelsea would score from a deflected goal from raheem sterling and a tap in but they went with 10 men against the leicester team that really should have been able to go okay like let's let's lay a marker down these guys are trying to take our best defender like let's go out there and, right. and punish them now what do you think of that game and sort of where those two teams are at yeah, you know, that was a tough one for me because, well, probably for a lot of people because it was the 8 a.m. slot and there was one, two, three, four, five games. <laughs> so it's, you got you got to pick his pick one. And I so I, I picked Brighton versus Leeds to really watch. And I'll you know, well, we can get I'll to just that. say you have to help me out on this time slot because I okay. was out at the fields coaching sure. my girls. Team yeah. <laughs> and I knew and then I had to coach my boys team. So I missed the rest of the games on Saturday. And yeah. knew I wasn't going to record them and watch them. So you can right. actually give us more of a genuine insight on these. Yeah. And that was, there was a lot of action. You know, I, 
I try as best I can because I want to, when I, when I watch a game or record, I want to try to find a full match that I can study a little bit and provide a little extra insight and then hit on some of the other, you know, matches throughout the day. So it was hard to pick one for that slot because there was a lot going on. Um, I didn't see much of the Chelsea Lester game, of course, watch the highlights and, um, you know, just feel like Lester a year ago, two years ago would have capitalized on that situation. Um, but I don't know, there's just something a little bit different. They're not hitting their strides like they, they used to, you know, you would have pegged Lester to, to, to win that probably last season, even, you know, the, the, two seasons ago, they, they, they were finishing up in fifth place, you know, pretty high in the premier league a few years ago. Um, so yeah, I don't know that they, they, like you said, a sleeper team to struggle. I think it was good to see Raheem Sterling get two goals. You know, he, he's been waiting for those and that to me, that helped. That was a big win for Chelsea. Uh, they got some new signings coming in. They needed to perform well. And, uh, I was surprised to be honest that they had that, that much fight. Cause that was a first half red card uh, from yeah. Connor Gallagher. I didn't see the red card. It was a second yellow. I didn't, they see... were both yellows. They were in transition, yeah. just moments where they lose the ball. Ball gets sort of popped out. Mm-hmm. It's sort of loose. He goes to win. It doesn't takes the dude out twice yeah. in like 10 minutes yeah it's such an obvious young player error like right which is fine i mean he's a good player i i think this is yeah it's kind of like darwin nunez when he got his red card against uh crystal palace mm-hmm. i was like it this could not co- have come in a better way like yeah. it's early in his career it's at anfield in a game where they're kind of struggling like it's it, it was basically now everyone's going to go ahead and help him understand like now you're a target like right this will happen on the road this will happen everywhere and the sooner you learn the lesson the better so Connor Gallagher getting a red card for you know two botched transitions mm-hmm. best thing I think for him if if yeah. he can handle it but yeah I would say one of the things that I think helped Chelsea in this in this match was. I think that their formation and their style gives them a little bit of an, an edge when they are a man down. Now you didn't see it much against Leeds Cause I think that was just kind of a, uh, it was the red card was later in the game and Leeds was already, you know, up, but I think when they have, because they have three center backs and then, and they have the four, the three, four, three, um, if they go down a man, they can adjust, but they're still sending the wing backs forward. They're still like, that's how they scored their second goal. Reese James up high, great cross and Sterling finishing. So I think that because of that formation and that style, it allows them to get up and get chance create chances when they're a man down. So I think that's what you saw in that second goal. And, uh, and they dug in and held on and Lester. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I felt like um, uh, Lester has not made really many signings and they've let more and more players go. I think that will be an interesting thing to see how they, how they pan out this season. They're, they're bottom of the table right now. Um, so yeah, we'll see, but Chelsea, good result. 
I think that's a result that the team can get behind and, and build some excitement and some momentum. And of course we have, you know, games this week, so it's a quick turnaround, but good result for them uh, to get that. That's a big morale boost for sure. Yeah. Well, as a fan, definitely. You're like, yeah, <laughs> down a man after like 30 minutes. This is not good. Um, all right. So the game you watched, you said you watched Brighton. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously, you know, you had Man City playing, you had Liverpool playing and we, you know, we could talk about those. But the the game that intrigued me from a tactical standpoint was Brighton versus Leeds. Um, you know, Brighton it has they for the last few seasons, they've been really solid. They've been getting results with, you know, young, inexpensive players. They scout. They bring guys in from South America. They Graham Potter has a really a unique uh, formation. I like his formation. It's kind of a three, five, one, or kind of breaks down to like a three, 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 one. And so he ends up getting, you end up getting like an overload on one side, you know, you'll have like a winger and a wing back uh, creating some space. They like to, you know, keep the ball as well. They're really good at keeping possession. And so I wanted to see how they fared against Leeds, who I'm very interested in um, because of not only because of Jesse Marsh and they brought in some American players, uh, but I did watch the uh, Leeds United documentary on Amazon Prime. Did you catch that? I didn't know. I don't have Amazon Prime, so okay. I miss a lot of these things like the all or nothing uh, arsenal. I haven't been able to see yeah. it yet. Okay. Yeah, that, that's a good. I just watched that the other day. Um, but Leeds had a full documentary. So it was about eight or 10 episodes and then another four or five. And it was, you know, their road back to the Premier League. It started when they hired Bielsa. So I saw that. It was a really awesome documentary. Russell Crowe um, narrated it. Nice. So you just get to see the players. And of course, even though I'm a Manchester United fan, I, I'm still a, a, an overall football fan. You know, I want to watch, I, I want to, I'm not that stubborn, um, although I don't really like Man City. Uh, in the last 10 years, they've just been way better than United. So, uh, But I, I like watching them and their style, of course. But um, so Leeds, you know, with Jesse Marsh, you know, he's he's now he's had a, a summer to really start to implement his ideas. I thought they did great in the transfer market, you know, selling Rafinha and Calvin Phillips, making a lot of money off of those players. I don't think I've seen Phillips in the Premier League yet for City. He hasn't come on. I don't think he's even come on. Um, but they went in and got some great replacements. And so they kind of have a, you know, they have more of that 4-2-3-1, Tyler Adams and uh, Mark Roca in the center. And then their front four playing really well, good pressing. You know, I like how they press. So I was really curious to see how those styles would would clash. And it, it was a good game. You know, both teams were, I thought, playing at a really good level. Uh, Leeds, you know, created some. Brighton created some. Brighton got their goal, uh, 1-0. And uh, Leeds still, you know, pushed. I wanted to see how they responded from, from beating Chelsea. Um, but it was a good tactical battle. And one, one thing I saw I like that Jesse Marsh, I think, is learning is when they played Southampton two weeks ago, I thought he waited too long to make some substitutions. And I commented yeah. on my podcast. I think substitutions is an underrated part of the game. Um, I felt like five when you have five now. Yeah. Uh, now, of course you can only make three 
change, you know, you can't make yeah. one at a time, all five, um, but still bring two new, two fresh legs on at once. You know, you rarely did that in the past. Now you can do that a little bit more. So the timing of substitutions, you know, he's, he, he, he's getting on it a little bit quicker. He made some good changes, keeping things fresh, but Brighton is, is really tough. I think this might be Brighton's best season, at least so far, they look really good. Um, so that was a really good game just to watch where the players are positioning themselves, how they're following. You can, you can, you can see when a, a team is really following their coach's game plan, you know, yeah. uh, you can see when a team is not, and that's been Manchester United for a long time, especially the first <laughs> two games of this season, all of a sudden, then the next two games, it got a lot better. So it's, it's really cool to see a team putting into place the game plan, you know, um, one of the, one of the sayings that I've heard in, in business is, you know, the cleanliness of theory is no match for the messiness of reality. So on the whiteboard, mm. you know, in the tactical session, it, it looks perfect. Um, but then how can you execute it out on the pitch? And both those teams, I think are doing a really good job executing their game plans. I like what Jesse Marsh is doing. He's kind of got a similar, a similar feel to Bielsa in the work rate and the pressing, but it's more organized. You know, it got, it got very chaotic uh, towards the end of Bielsa's tenure. And I think he's brought more structure. And I, I like to every, every press conference, I, I turn on Jesse Marsh to listen to his press conference. I like hearing him talk. I like hearing him communicate, you know, his philosophy. So that was a really good game. If you want to, I think for, for fans who want to really study the game, that was a good one to watch. Well, I think Graham Potter is definitely, definitely a guy worth paying attention to. If 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 you like the way, for instance, a- anyone who's a neutral looking for a Premier League team to like support, right? Um, I know Nottingham Forest is a really attractive option for a lot of people. They've got the great badge. They've got that red kit that has no sponsor on it. It's mm-hmm. you know the city ground is going to be a really really amazing atmosphere this season. But if you want a team that plays well and that, like you said, they follow a clear plan. Every game you watch them. I've I've watched Chelsea really toil against Brighton ever since Mm. Graham Potter walked through the door. Every single game, you're like, gosh, this is so difficult. So he, I think, is he's in line at some point soon to get one of the big jobs. Um, I would imagine the next time one of them opens – he'll be he'll be the person they go to so yeah I think watching Brighton's a great great example and and you know it's also you know Man City's playing and you, you decide I want to watch Brighton versus Leeds because these two managers have really and it, it what it does it does serve up an interesting spectacle mm-hmm. even if it's not a high scoring match you you're intrigued by everything that's going on because the details are they're fine and the margins are tiny so yeah and of course, I flipped over to Crystal Palace, Man City, in about the 60th minute when Crystal Palace was still up 2-0. And then Man City goes and scores four goals. Uh, Do you ever get the feeling like it's because you switched to the game that if you just hadn't? Oh, yeah. yeah I, it happens so often to me where oh, I all yeah. of a sudden I'm like, well, I'm going to stop watching because when I wasn't watching, they were winning. And now all of a sudden they're playing like poorly. It's hilarious yep. how that works. Yep. Yeah, it happened to me. Exactly. <laughs> and um, I would just say commenting on that, of course, you know, Erling Holland going to get the the headlines hat trick. Um, some of the ways that he scores are like it. 
if you're a, a an up and coming center forward, you know, if you're 15, 16, 17, you got to watch this guy. Um, he is always in the right place. And that's, I, uh, and I've mentioned that before as well, that I think that's an adjustment for the man city players to have somebody who's going to be there. And I've, and I, and, and you can kind of see some of it. You saw some of it in the first few games, I think where, you know, Phil Foden took a shot when he, if he squared the ball, Holland was right there. And, you know, in the past when they've had the false nine, that player has kind of vacated that space and they'll come out, you know, and, and serve as more of a midfielder, but he doesn't leave that corridor of uh, center forward play. And then he holds off the guy, the uh, defender, you know, for the third, for his third goal. This is the thing. The third goal, uh, what you just said is, is dead on because I remember when I was watching the highlight of that, I was like, you see Gundogan with the ball and Holland is split between the two center backs. And so the sort of obvious option is you play it on the outside of the center backs and Holland sort of makes his run in and he gets right. it on his left foot. Holland, and, and you can see Gundogan sort of looking for like, that's your run, right? And Holland just keeps running in between. I mean, he's like, no, no, just give me the ball, like right yeah. here to my feet. And that, that as a center forward, like you said, he's holding the guy off. It's so ballsy to receive a ball as a center forward like that between two players. Know that you have to control it and not slow down and then also fend off two people and then finish. Finish. <laughs> so it, it's, yeah. it, it, you could see Gundogan was a little bit like, that's the run you're doing? All right, I'll give you the ball. So now and they're going to the like, perfect ball. You can give them the ball anywhere he's going to score. Yeah. 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 All, all his goals were different, you know, but they were, they were what you want from a center forward. I think when I looked at that game and I compare it to Newcastle versus city last week, um, the thing that I thought crystal palace did wrong and I, I'm not going to fault them too much. Cause you, you know, you're playing against man city, but they really dropped in second half. They tried to hold the game, you know, just hold that two nil lead. And the difference between what Newcastle did the previous week was they continued to press. They continued to be meeting city up the pitch. They didn't just drop back and let city come because that's that city is going to punish you for that. You know, the way that they play, you know, I've commented it before. They really play the old WM, the two, three, five, um, because their inverted fullbacks come up and play alongside Rodri as their center mid, and then they have the five players up top. So the way they play is already on the front foot. And if you keep dropping back, you're going to invite them. And uh, I think Crystal Palace, that's how they played the whole second half. And of course, City just keeps pushing away. And I do think City is is so clinical that they're going to, if you give them that chance, they're going to do it. And so Crystal Palace just you have to be on your game for the full 90 minutes. So focused, so concentrated when you're playing some of these top teams and Newcastle showed that the week before crystal palace, a little bit too much of a drop off for me. Well, I'm wondering if because of the five subs this season, we will see some teams realize that you don't drop off against city for 20, 30 minutes. You just don't do it. They'll score four goals. It doesn't matter right. if you've built up a lead. We saw it on the final day of the season last season. And 
I mean, we've seen it, I'd say, countless times now where you don't even you remember that one. But you also remember that there were like 10 other times where they were down and they just stormed back into a game. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Aguero one is, a, is an example. And, and all of these games, I, I clearly remember teams defending with 10 guys in the box. Right. And it's they've shown that they find a way. So if you have five subs and you want to add more fresh energy, defensive energy, right? And like you said, meet them higher up the field. Try and actually have a line of confrontation somewhere around the mid midpoint of the field. Don't just have your center forward 30 yards from your goal mm-hmm. jogging around trying to deal with how to outpossess four players because that's what it turns into. Right. And I, I'm going to be curious to see if teams realize if you build a lead against City, you keep going at them and you see if you can actually annoy them in the midfield. So yeah, I, it's a lesson. That's that what I Newcastle if, did. Yeah, exactly. And they, that's a blueprint. So, and there's always a blueprint. Sometimes the, you know, team figures out, this is how you do it. I, I think it's going to be interesting to see how Liverpool deal with bigger opposition. I mean, they'll crush the smaller ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bournemouth took They're nine bad for Bournemouth. Well, no, that, good for them. They're not the only team that took nine Dundee, uh, Dundee United, got beat 9-0 right. by Celtics so yep same yeah the next day right <laughs> literally the next um, day so that, that that probably eases the pain just just a tiny bit yeah but they win 9-0 I, Liverpool yeah so yeah they just they released all their anger they came out and I you know Bournemouth played Manchester City Arsenal and Liverpool right in a row um tough draw for them i would say you know we'll we'll see how they do they could be kind of a sleeper team that kind of flies under the radar now sometimes i think when teams play some of the top teams and lose they get those games out of the way and then they kind of hang around i just don't know if they if they are that are good enough um to kind of catch up a little bit but liverpool i mean when i looked at all the goals this weekend from the from the whole of the premier league you could have put a top 10 together from just this weekend. I mean, and Liverpool had three or four that were, you know, just top, top draw. And, you know, it's tough to really put down a real tactical analysis on a nine nil game. Um, You know, it just gets away from you. But what you saw was Liverpool relentless continuing, you know, to go up the pitch and that's how they play. They don't always score nine. But they kept going, you know, and and Mo Salah didn't score or have an assist, and they still scored nine, uh, and they got everybody involved. What I noticed in watching a little bit of that game was um, Firmino. He was coming back, you know, way, you know, way too deep. I think to then there was nobody filling his space when he would drop in, and United were doing a good job pressing. But in this game, he wasn't dropping too deep. He was staying in that false nine area and facilitating a lot. He was the link, you know, in the final third. He got three assists, two goals, um, and uh, played great. So I think he's a nice playmaker. I like watching him, but he stayed in the right position and was really able to facilitate versus coming way too deep, I think, when they played United. So that was a, a change that they made. They, they look 
they looked great. They looked back to Liverpool. And um, so they're back in. I did pick them to win the league. Um, I felt like they, they did, you know, in, in their, in Darwin Nunes signing and uh, even Carvalho, I think that was a good little pickup. Um, The midfield, we'll see what happens. Um, But I I just felt like they were, they might come out this season wanting to get back to the top. So uh, we'll see, you know, everybody thought city was going to cruise to the title and uh, they, they tied and and had a comeback win, so they they don't look as indestructible as maybe they did in the first two games. Um, but then Arsenal, surprising, uh, four wins out of four, yeah. a hard fought victory against Fulham. You probably didn't catch that game either. You were probably coaching. Yeah. I was at ten thirty, so <laughs> I was uh, at that that one. I was sort of in between games. So I did actually pull it up for a little bit on my phone. Okay. <laughs> uh, on my Fubo app. I was able to do that. But oh yeah. Um, but I didn't see any like any of the goals or anything until until later. Uh no, no, sorry. I did see the Mitrovic goal. I did oh, watch yeah. that. I saw that and I was like, this is insane. This is embarrassing. This is terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, I I get really frustrated watching some of the goals that are conceded, not so much from building out, because I think it's reductive to say that building out of the back is what gets you scored on. No, it's making terrible decisions whilst building out of the back that gets you Mm -hmm. scored on, like lobbing a ball into the middle of your own penalty area. Right. Like to a player, I mean, if Mitrovic had been five yards closer, you'd have attacked that and headed it in. You know, it was yeah. such a crazy pass from Saka. And there was an easy option. It was right there in the corner. He could have just laid it off. And I, I think it was Ben White was there. Smash it up the line. Or even try if you want to try and build out of that corner, fine. But to, to launch a ball into the middle of your own penalty area and put a center That's- back in that kind of position is just stupid. So that's I'm something you learn at, at the youth level. Well, yeah, that's yeah. something you're told at youth. Never, never play it across your own box like that. So, um, but yeah, but he, the, the he thing about Arsenal though is now there's something there's something genuinely there. And I've I've mentioned already for United fans like be patient. You have to find the right mm-hmm. coach, and they have to they have to make some unpopular decisions and turn things around and they've given Arteta the power to do so. I mean, moving on Aubameyang, I think was a really good decision. I I don't even know why that was up for debate last year. Yeah. It was like, it was like, he was just not showing up. He was like doing kind of what he wanted and you've got this young team you're trying to guide and build. And I think the blueprint that they've put together is perfect because the players that are, that they have, just get better every week so mm-hmm. arsenal are genuine top four contenders here i wouldn't go as far as saying title but genuine yeah top agreed four. i think they're gonna I, I picked them to finish third and it's looking very good you know some of my predictions aren't looking that good but i don't like <laughs> i like to make them but then i i don't like to make them as well because that's what i felt like in the past you know you flip on any yeah, ESPN or anything. And, and the, these guys make these outrageous predictions, right. And then they're never held accountable for it. And they still are tapped as the experts. Um, so that's where I am always hesitant, although they are, it is pretty fun to make predictions, but 
Yeah, I think, you know, they're 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 looking kind of like City in, in, in some ways, you know, that Arteta was, you know, Pep's assistant for a little while. So I think a lot of that philosophy is going to spill over into, uh, you know, how Arsenal are going to play. They like the inverted um, fullback as well. But one of the things that I've noticed this season versus last season is – Last season, it was really a, a 4 2 3 1. You had Thomas Partey and Granite Xhaka as the two pivots. You know, they, yep. they really held that area down in the pitch. Now we're seeing more where one of them, mainly Partey, is staying as that pivot and, and uh, Xhaka is getting higher up the pitch. I see him in the 18 yard box all the time. So they've shifted that a little bit. And I like how they're playing. They're really. Uh, they're playing comfortable and confident. So once they hit, you know, some of the top teams, I want to see how they play against them. They haven't had the hardest schedule so far. So can they dig in and and play with that confidence and 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 stick to their philosophy when they run into Tottenham, when they run into, you know, City, Liverpool? So that that'll be. I, I want to see how they respond that's kind of the next step i think for their team with the young team they have how can they get through some of those hurdles well and and i remember at the very beginning of last season right they were uh they'd lost their first three matches but those matches were against i believe it was spurs chelsea and city no it wasn't spurs it was it uh, was brentford oh yeah no that's right they lost they started against brentford that's right and then they lost to chelsea and And then city So I remember people, I remember listening to the Gabba Jules show and Juliano Holly said, look, the Brentford game, you go to a, you know, newly promoted team, you go into their house, the crowd's going to be insane. The way that Brentford plays difficult. Okay. You lose that game in a tight, tight match. It can happen. Then you play against two teams that they are not the level that you're at. So you can't, worry about whether or not you lose those so when they lost their first three games i kind of looked at and was like i mean this isn't really a crisis yet it is if it is if now because their schedule cleared up pretty quickly if they if they don't respond and they responded and now what we're seeing from them is that they are really doing a good job of handling opposition that is below them even if they have a tough match i've heard arsenal fans saying as soon as mitrovic scored we were all thinking oh no because last season's team probably would have lost this game and this season's mm-hmm. team comes back and wins. So huge, right. huge optimism over there at, at uh, the Emirates. So I I'm, I'm very curious to see how they do. I I'm with you. It's all about, can they, and I actually think they absolutely can put up a performance and win against the big teams. I think what may be the most difficult is if they have, you know, if Odegaard gets injured, Gabriel Jesus gets injured or something, those two, might take away from just that that cutting edge they have up front because they're brilliant they're absolutely brilliant yeah. players so we'll, we'll see but i i really like the way arsenal are playing and i'm happy to see them back and not be like the circus club because it's you know yeah it's i guess it's man united's turn at the moment but but like i've said that's the blueprint you know you stick with someone yeah. you stick with a plan and and you hold people accountable and i think that that's what he's been doing there and it's made a really big difference you actually earlier mentioned how this is uh, this weekend was like you could put a top ten goals of the season from just this weekend. 
obviously the notable match here is Wolves Newcastle because Ruben mm-hmm. Neves pulled out his this is all I do trick. And then yeah. Alan Sam Maximan, just, you know, the flair. Yeah. Beautiful volley. So did you, were you able to watch yeah. that one? I did. Yeah. I watched that one. Um, and uh, what I thought was, you know, the interesting, they, they threw out the statistic for, for Neves that 16 of his 25 goals for wolves have been outside of the penalty box. Incredible. Uh, that is, you know, you kind of know it, you know, that he scores those goals, but then when you hear the stat, it really is pretty crazy. I remember well, the others scored... are penalties probably. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. I remember, you know, he scored an amazing goal against United a little while ago from way outside. Um, and one thing that I saw and I always felt like it, this never happened to me, but uh, I don't know how many times the ball goes through the a defender's legs in the Premier league. Like he, 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 it was so tight. The defender was late to close him, you know, but he got close and he, and he, and the, and he shot it right through his legs. And I just, I'm like, that happens a lot more than I thought happened when I played. <laughs> like, why can I get some of those, uh, you know, hitting it through his legs. But um, what I loved about that hit was, it hit the back of the net before it never touched the ground yeah. uh, from, and from, from keeping it that low, you know, it was only maybe two, three yards above, above the surface. And it just was on a line, yeah. you know, and hit the back of the net uh, pure, pure strike. It remind me kind and, of a uh, Tiago Alcantara's goal last season. He oh had yeah. That volley where he just clipped it and it just had backspin and was just cutting the grass. Just mm-hmm. gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. I was curious about Newcastle. I, I'm, I'm the, the probably second tier teams that I'm really curious about this season are Newcastle Leeds, and Brighton. Um, and then Nottingham forest. I think, like you said, a, a, an easy team. I, I see them as maybe a Brentford or a Leeds the season before getting promoted and uh, really exciting, you know, the, the league and being a real surprise. Um, but I do want, I'm, I, you know, of course, Newcastle had a takeover last season, lots of money coming in. Um, but the way that they've been building, I think, has been really good. They didn't it's go out. Really interesting. Yeah. They didn't go out and try to get Neymar and all that, you know, all the flair. <laughs> um, they have built on a foundation. And then, you know, they just brought in uh, Isaac. Alexander Isak. Isak. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how to pronounce his name. Uh, I think that's a great signing, you know, uh, young forward. I've seen him play for Sweden a few times. He'll be, I think he'll fit right into the system. Uh, Newcastle definitely had a let off from, from city. Uh, did you catch this game or, or any of the Sundays? Yeah. Well, so I actually, cause it's funny. You, you mentioned that you like watching there's certain teams you're kind of paying attention to. So Newcastle is one I was really intrigued with West Ham Villa. So that's the one okay. I, I fully zeroed in on that one. If you fully zeroed in on Wolves Newcastle, then that gives us both yeah. sides of it. Obviously, Spurs against Forest was later in the day. There was no conflict there. Um, right with Forest, I will say I was really impressed. They get scored on really early, five minutes in, quick fast break. Kane's just not covered scores, and then after that, I mean, Forest really created a lot of Mm -hmm. i know that 
you, when you look at shots on target and like the actual chances created, you think, well, not much, but they had three balls that were crossed that were on the floor inside the six yard box that just right either evaded somebody by nothing or, and so those, I would imagine by XG that those are pretty damn good chances created. Right. Yeah. So I was really impressed with them. They get scored on late sort of caught in a transition in the second phase, but I like Morgan Gibbs White. I think he's going to be really good for them. He 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 works well with Lingard, and I, I think I I like what they've got going. They just need to yeah. they just need to start picking up wins in any game that they can, and and really make the home field a fortress. But mm-hmm. I can see them being a little bit of a late bloomer this season because eighteen signings. Yeah, they're a lot. They they had so many players on loan to them last season that are gone, that they really had to make the signings. I love the ambition. You know, they, they want to get back to their best uh, from the seventies. And um, yeah, I think because they're bringing in all these new guys, like I said, it might take a few weeks uh, for them to really start clicking, but right now they're look really they're, they're, they're not intimidated. They went out and attacked Tottenham all game long. I mean, when I watched the highlights, I only got to watch the highlights of that one. But on NBC Sports YouTube, it was 17 minutes of highlights. Normally, they're 10, 12. And it's just because there was a lot to show. And, of course, Dean Henderson saving another penalty was really cool to see. Um, I wish that he was still with United. I think it was time to give him the, the chance. But we'll see what happens there. But, yeah, Forrest. Uh, very impressed. They create a lot of chances. Um, it's fun to watch a team like that. That's what Brentford was like last season. They didn't care who they were going up against. They were going to play their style. And that's what Forrest seems to be doing now. I think they're going to get, I think this, they're just going to start clicking for them. I think they're going to, I hope they do well. They really committed to staying up this season with all the signings that they made. Uh, so we'll see. I hope they, I hope they build on that. Well, and Steve Cooper is going to, he rivals Unai Emery for touchline facial expressions. <laughs> Brilliant. I yeah. mean, like you'll be sitting there, like the team will be doing something great and he'll just have this like puckered up face. Like and you're just like, what? This is so funny. What's you're, going on in that guy's Unai is the same. <laughs> you'll watch him and he'll have this like bizarre snarling looking thing going on. And I love it. I love coaches that forget their face. Um, yeah. So I, I watched Villa West Ham and uh, I was really curious because West Ham went big this summer. OK, they. They signed a lot of players, they spent a lot of money and they did it to. You, you could see that the signings were not just, oh, this is a good player that could maybe help. It was no, this rivals one of our starters and gives us serious depth in an area that we just want to get stronger and they signed players in every area of the park. So they weren't just looking to address a couple things or replace someone that was going. They haven't really lost right. anybody. So, no. I mean, they, they let Arthur Maswaka go, Yarmolenko went, but these are replaceable players. So right. they go in the first three, the first three games, they, they don't win. And so you're thinking, okay, well, yeah, what, this is a big season. You guys need to deliver. The first half of this match was awful. Um, <laughs> and I, and, I, and tactically it was, it was bad because 
and, and I, I don't, I, they matched up against each other a little too well defensively, right? Where not much, not much could, not much possession could be generated in midfield. Neither team knew how to really break out. And then there was just disappointing. Any kind of final product that was needed was always disappointing. Mm. David Moyes changed the formation uh, in the second half. And he took off Emerson Palmieri, who they were playing with wingbacks, pulled him off, put on Ben Rama. They changed the shape of their midfield and completely dominated it. They started creating more and more chances. Fornals gets a deflected goal. And they were absolutely the better team after West Ham took the lead. And this is at Villa Park. West Ham were really the ones pushing for a second. Hmm. Big questions for Steven Gerrard, right? To lose, you know, at home and, and, and be outplayed, really, and outmanaged in the second half. Because Gerrard's substitutions were like for like. Hmm. Didn't yeah. change the shape at all. And the game was getting away from them. And so... I got to give credit to David Moyes there. And also, I think Skamaka is going to work out at West Ham. I think he's going to be great for them. He's he's going to be great for the Premier League. He's got that. He's got a, a presence about him. He's got an edge about him. Um, he's he's the replacement for Voot Leghorst, who I don't know how. Okay. No one, no one decided <laughs> to pick him up and bring him straight back into the league. But, you know, similar. Yeah. He's, he's a big dude. He loves to hold up the ball. He loves to bring it in. And he, he gets physical. And that'll give... Awesome havoc. Yeah, and that'll also... Antonio can work off of a player like that. You don't need Antonio to be the guy that does that all the time. He can also run off that kind of thing. So I, I was happy to see West Ham get on the board because after the outlay they put out this summer, they need to be challenging for the top six. They need to be pushing Man United, Arsenal, Chelsea, Spurs... If, if any of them start to slide off, they need West Ham right on their backs. That's yeah. what I think this. And um, actually, and I think Newcastle wants to be there as well. And I, I put them absolutely There's in the teams. category to be there. They, they, they had what champions league. Like, I think they were third after Christmas, their form would have put them in third. If, if the league had started on January 1st, last season, they would have finished yeah. in thir- third or fourth. I, I remember reading that somewhere. So, they're on a yeah. I, I think Newcastle, like you said, the investment strategy has been super interesting because you always expected the big, big, big flush of cash to come in. You didn't expect Eddie Howe to be the manager that they would pick, right? And and so it's yeah. been a very intriguing project, and I definitely think they're on the way. Speaking of projects, Brentford have a good one. They drew with Everton, who seemed to be struggling this is the this is the final match of the weekend that we that that we haven't yeah. talked about yet yep one one seems like a scoreline that kind of suits both teams doesn't it yeah i think it was maybe a little bit of a surprise for brentford they you know the, i i i put them above everton as far as squad um and you know they finished above above them last season i think that they're further along in their project than Everton. Frank Lampard is trying to kind of still right the ship. I don't think Everton did great in the transfer window this summer. Uh, still might even lose Anthony Gordon to Chelsea. Um, and Still don't and, understand that one. No, I don't either. <laughs> um, I didn't really get to watch much of the game. It definitely felt like kind of one of those stalemate games where 
I didn't think there was going to be a winner and Brentford got their goal, you know, second half. So um, yeah, I don't know. I just feel like Everton. One thing I did think they needed was a better, uh, better center backs from last season. And they got that. Yeah. But they don't have anybody who can score. Um, Dominic Cavalluren's out for a while. They haven't gotten anybody else in. Um, Anthony Gordon is not a center forward, although that's so. where they have to play him right now. Yep. So uh, I was score. a little bit surprised. He scored and it was a nice, you know, a ball over the top. He brought it down, finished uh, low far post, you know, uh, which is what my college coach said all the time, drilled it into us, low far post, low far post. Um, so he did that. It's funny how how it works when 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 people, you know, usually try that. Um, but yeah, I thought... <laughs> I thought that Brentford would have had more of this game, um, but we'll, you know, I, I think that Brentford is, is going to be okay, but I'm, I'm, I'm worried about Everton again this season. I don't yeah. know. Um, I don't know if they, if they have enough to do what they did last season and stage off relegation in a very insane way. I, I don't know if it's there. What do you think? Well, and I, look, I love Frank Lampard as a player. He was, I think, inspirational. If you're a midfielder, which I was, and I, I was, you know, that kind of guy, I ran him up and down. I was a box to box midfielder and I love to shoot from outside the box. So he was, you know, he and Jared were both these, these just Titans, right. And love the way they played. It's funny seeing them now both in the league and now both currently in a situation where they're struggling because last season, Jared was trending upward, Lampard had been let go from Chelsea. There was this idea that he really wasn't actually that great of a coach. So he gets his second chance at Everton here. And look, last season they survived because the crowd pushed them to the limit. Richarlison yep. was able to, you know, make a few things happen. Jordan Pickford was, you know, in, he was an inspired form at the end. I think, look, I, I will say I really like Onana. So they yes. signed him from Lille and that's where my mom's from. So Oh, okay. The, yeah, that's the team that I my team in France is Lille and I I've paid attention to him. He everyone's surprised. They're like, look at the amount of games he played, the starts. He really wasn't that integral to the team. Well, he was also sort of battling the spot that he would was playing was like a captains and veterans were in those positions in the mm. team and title winners. So he wasn't necessarily going to get that much time, but everything I saw from him, he's going to bring a lot of quality. And you, like you said, they brought in, I mean, they've got James Tarkovsky. Like that, that's a very good signing to bring in. So, so they're a little more rigid for sure. Where are they going to score goals from? I don't know, but I do think this is where they have a squad good enough to, to, just be a little bit clear of relegation. But this comes mm -hmm. down to, like we've spoken about, how good of an identity does the coach bring the team, right? Is their squad all that much better than Brighton's on paper? I I don't know. I, yeah. not, not really, right? You could probably go yeah. player for player and make decent matchups. Southampton, right? And, and this is where yeah. it comes down to, can coaches figure out ways to get at least a run of form results, right? Some kind of solidity. I mean, I've always been impressed with Hassan because when you get beat nine nil 
twice in your career and you're able to respond. That's always been the most impressive thing about him to me. And so I wonder if Lampard is going to be able to handle it. The one thing about Lampard and Jared that I will also add here, they seem to be like kind of brooding a lot of the time. They seem kind of like moody and just like Mm -hmm. hard nosed, like, they don't bring that. I mean, look at, uh, and I know Bruno Laga is a guy that doesn't really show a whole ton of emotion, but look at Jesse Marsh. Look at um, Brentford's manager, um, Thomas Frank. Yep. Right. These are personalities who the teams want to play for, Graham Potter as well. So, mm-hmm. and I look at Lampard and Jared and they're like, arms crossed. Yeah, Gerard. Oh. Uh, Lampard, especially. Yeah. I, every time they show him, he's just like, really looking stone stone faced you know yeah Uh, i just don't know if that's the vibe that'll get you out of trouble you know and and they grew up in an era where when they were growing up it was a lot harder it was a lot more like you do the hard yards you do the running all this stuff yes right but players are slightly different nowadays you have to figure out how to lead them and i wonder with a lot of english managers that grew up in that era how many of them have sort of, especially the ones that were at the high levels, how right. many of them understand? Because they all are failures. Neville's, yeah. like, Skulls, Keen, all these guys, who, have, if they've ever touched a team, they haven't really done well. Right. Um, so. And Rooney, Rooney now is in uh, D.C. United. So. They have not been you know, doing he, well so he far. He did. Yeah. And he, he had a tough spell at Derby as well. Yeah, it's an issue. That, that class of players has not produced and elite manager yet there's still time though but it does it does make you wonder sort of when you look at their faces you go yeah i just don't i just don't catch a vibe that says that the players are going to look at you and go i'm i'm with you i'm with you coach Mm -hmm. you know interesting yeah so we'll see uh i i always you you said you don't really like doing predictions much i always reserve the right to wait until the transfer window is closed to make my predictions so i have not done those yet because uh, i think it makes a huge difference i think it's um you know i look at chelsea as a prime example united as well if they are able to bring in a couple names in the next few days i mean lester could save their season in the next 3 days right you know or not so yep. th- I think that's that's going to be the fascinating thing. So that's a, that's a Premier League update. Uh, we, we forgot to mention Kane scored in August. Congratulations, Harry Kane. Oh, yeah. In August. There he goes. Um, that doesn't happen often. So I nope. wanted, to, wanted to kind of move on to the Euro- European competitions. And we'll, we'll just going through the the draws and the groups. I want to start with the Conference League because this is actually a competition I'm a huge fan of. I, I said this before we before we started recording. I like this competition because um, what it did was it restructured the Europa League. So the Europa League used to be this diabolical 12-group, 24-in-the-group-stage team thing. It was just ridiculous. Right. And then there, you know, and then there was – then the teams that dropped down from the, the Champions League made it an in, such a huge bracket – in the knockout stage that you just didn't feel a need to pay attention. Now Mm -hmm. all, all three competitions have the exact same format, right? Which is perfect. And what the creation of the conference league did was it sort of dropped down all those um, sort of dropped the teams that were lower tier Europa league 
and put them in the conference league. And now the Europa League is a little bit less diluted, really. Right. So conference league, I'm not going to read every single team, but I, I, I thought what was interesting was going through and looking for teams who maybe I didn't know much about, right? Or I didn't necessarily know exactly where they were from um, or haven't heard much about them at all. And so uh, RFS in Group A, uh, they're from Riga which I thought was interesting. There's okay. uh, Silkeborg, uh, Slovak, uh, wait, yeah, Slovachko, but Balkani, these are, you know, good names. I'm going to do some deep dives on some of these teams, but the one that really interested me the most was Dnipro 1. Okay, so if you look at the names of the teams, you see Dnipro 1. And so I remember <laughs> Dnipro as a club. I remember seeing them, you know, in different, just seeing this name as a club, but why the hashtag or why the dash one? Well, apparently the club went under. So I looked this up. The club went under uh. and it was sort of rebranded now as Dnipro one. So there's these, and what's interesting is we don't think about it, but the pandemic actually really did have an impact on a lot of small clubs around, right. around Europe that some of them were able to steady their ships and actually you know, stay in the positions that they're in. That's why there's, you know, a team like Ghent, you know, Molda, uh, Cluj, you know, Cluj was in the, the Romanian club. They were in the Champions League a few years ago. You have Slavia Praha, right? Austria, right. Vienna, you know, some normal names. But then all of a sudden, yeah, like I said, you've got Silkeborg and Slovachko and uh, Punic. Punic are from Yerevan, Armenia. Um, wow. Yeah. And so... The pandemic did a reset where also some clubs may have been given the opportunity to kind of change gears and find a new way to be successful because you can't get to the Europa League if you didn't finish high in your league. And right. some of these teams have not done so in a long time in their history. So I don't know, just looking at the group stage, is there anything that jumps yeah. out of you? Are there any teams you're like, I got to follow this one? Um, in all honesty, it's so hard for me to be able to follow the conference league um, and it's new, but of course I think it got on everybody's radar, especially mine with um, Roma winning it last year and yep. Jose Mourinho getting another trophy. Um, but it is, I do really appreciate and like to see just the cross pollination of different teams from different leagues playing each other. It's always, I think it, I think it brings the level up a little bit because you have these different styles. You have different teams like West Ham is in it. They're a big, you know, they're a big club and Fiorentina as well. Fiorentina. Yep. So Villarreal is in there as well. Lazio. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Um, No, no, they're Europe. Oh, no. Sorry. Lazio. Yeah. yeah. Um, But definitely some, some good names in there. Yeah. Dinner pro one. Um, you know, it's interesting. I got one of my books over my shoulder, Soccernomics. Um, yeah. Have one. you ever read it? Yeah. Um, you know, and they talk about how it's really hard for football clubs to um, go under. They just get resurrected. Uh, and it uh, looks like that happened here. Um, yeah, I think it's just it'll be really curious to see how these teams come together. I, I would like to watch it. I don't know. I don't have as much time to watch some of these, um, but when I get a chance to catch a, a conference game, 
I, uh, I'd be curious just to see, you know, some of these teams and um, how they go against some of the, the big boys. So it, it, it looks like a really, really intriguing draw to, to watch some of these games. Yeah, actually, I don't know where you watch them. I'm not sure. Yeah. I, last season, because I have a Fubo subscription, and I could I could watch Europa League, but I couldn't watch Conference League. So I don't really. That's okay. the, that's the only problem is group stage. I don't know where you would watch it. Um, but I don't think there's much of an imperative currently for the broadcasters to be like, how do we get Conference League in? But like yeah. you said, it got on everyone's radar because Jose Mourinho and Roma are the ones that win it, and you have to remember all those Europa League third place teams will drop down into this competition, right? So then if you look at right. the Europa League, uh, that's where you start to see some some groups where you're like, well, wow, this team, if they, they, might, they might drop into that area. I mean, you have Group E of the Europa League. You've got Man United, Real Sociedad, Sheriff Tiraspol, who I've got big love for, and then Amanoia um, from, uh, I believe, Cyprus. So look, Man United should be fine, right? Right. But let's let's say Sheriff do really well and Sociedad drop down into the Conference League. That is perfectly, perfectly reasonable to think it could happen. Sure. Arsenal, Arsenal are in Group A with PSV Eindhoven, Zurich, and Bodo Glimt. Now Bodo Glimt, if no one, if, if anyone remembers, that's the team that beat Mourinho's Roma six one in the group stage last year mm, of this wow. of of the conference league wow yeah they went up to nor they were, i believe it's in norway they went there and just got absolutely battered so when they're playing these group stage games later you know those these later october games you know, psv or arsenal have to go up there and it's frigid temperatures like things could go wrong for them they did for roma last season and mm-hmm. so if Bodo Glimt puts up a surprise, you have potentially PSV or, or Arsenal dropping down again into the Conference League. And then Roma, Real Betis, and then you've got Ludogorets and oh, HKJ, I forgot who this is. But again, you've, you know, Betis right now are perfect in, um, oh yeah, so HJK is Helsinki, that's right. So yeah, Betis right now are perfect in, La Liga, Roma mm-hmm. are the holders of the Conference League, and they've signed some really big time players. A lot. <clears throat> they so yeah, they mean business this season. <laughs> they do, and and this is why I think that these. I just I always say the creation of the Conference League, whether you get a chance to watch it, whether you care to watch it or not, it's now made the Europa League better and. I think it's going to be much more interesting to watch this season. I, I look at the group stage and I'm like, oh, I could, I could, I could take some Thursdays, it's Thursday afternoons, and uh, and and pay attention. Is there anyone? Lock it off. Yeah, yeah. Is there anyone that sort of jumps out? Um, any group that jumps out to you in this in this competition? Any teams that you're like, I'd like to know more about this, more about them. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, not just because I'm a United fan, but Group E is intriguing to me because mostly because of how Sheriff surprised everybody in the Champions League last year, um, beating Real Madrid in the first game. And they're now in the group with Man United, Real Sociedad. I'm, you know, Isak 
left Sociedad to go to Newcastle. So that there's a, a void there potentially. Um, but that's just a, that's a curious group for me, not only be, like I said, because of man United, but um, the restructuring it, just looking at it, it looks stronger. And I think that'll be a, a fun competition to, uh, to check in on. Yeah. I mean, for sure it's, and obviously when it gets to the knockout rounds, that's, that's when it gets really good, of course, because you get the drop off from the champions league and yeah, I mean, the teams that are going to drop out of this competition, you know, you look champions league group stage this year is really, really fun. I mean, group a Liverpool, Ajax, Napoli Rangers. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, Group B, Porto, Atletico, Leverkusen, and Club Bruges. Group C, this is the one that really gets everyone. Bayern, Barcelona, Inter, and Victoria Pilsen. And I've heard some interesting uh, commentary on the fact that the Champions League, the group stage is going to happen faster than it ever has because they have to wrap it up by the end of October or, yeah, early November, I guess, prior to the World Cup. Okay, yeah, World Cup. And... So it's going to happen fast. And then, of course, one of the major things is the lineup of the matches. Who plays who when? And kind of who gets that, which teams get the double game, right? The one where you play home and away against the same team. If it's one of the weaker teams in your group, that tends to really help. Because you can just stash six points. And then the last two games, you know very much what you need to do. So that's going to be an important thing to come out. Um, I, I, I think the Group D with Tottenham, Frankfurt, uh, Sporting, and Marseille is great because it's just that, like, all of them seem to me right around the same level um, in a lot of ways. Yes. Uh, Chelsea, yep. AC Milan, Salzburg, and Dinamo Zagreb should be interesting. Real Madrid got uh, a layup with Leipzig, Shakhtar Donetsk, and Celtic, in my opinion. And I think Man City as well got a layup with Sevilla, Dortmund, and Copenhagen. But I am intrigued to see what Paris Saint-Germain do against Juve, Benfica, and Maccabi Haifa as well. What jumps out to you in all this? Well, I always like to see an Israeli team make it. Um, I lived in Israel for six months for oh, a nice. semester in college. I never got to go to a game or anything like that, but we we were up and visited Haifa. Um, so I always like to see when they can sneak in it's every few years you know they'll they'll somebody from there will qualify um i think there's just a lot of big expectations on some of these big teams psg humongous pressure to do well in the champions league man city um you know so i think those those two teams have huge pressure barcelona the, the barcelona bayern versus fc yeah yeah so that there's some really good um, games. I mean, there's some really good groups, you know, Bayern of course started off so well, then they drew this past weekend um, some heroic goalkeeping from uh, summers who I really yeah. like when I saw him in the euros. Um, I'm so I know he was linked to United for a little bit. Great goalie. I think, you know, he, he, uh, he can, he can move on to an even, even, bigger team um but yeah i don't know it's uh i like group d like you said um all those teams look at the, uh, about the same level 
and they're you know all different leagues so th- this this is going to be a good one i think i don't know if if cristiano ronaldo will make it over to napoli i think that's his last chance to play champions league this season That'll be um, interesting. but uh yeah it's always it's always a special competition you know i remember in college it used to be when it used to be on espn uh we'd go down in the cafeteria and watch you know the watch one of the games and uh, there's just something amazing about a weeknight you know under the lights um the 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 crowds are always up for it now that we're you know you know now that we're post covid everything's back to normal for the most part for the fans and the teams and everything uh it's just really fun it's just the way they do it i'm so glad that the super league got shut down for now um cuz this is this is the way it's supposed to be in my opinion qualifying for it earning your spot and then you know, the, the format, I was a little bit, I'd love to hear your thoughts as we are probably about to wrap it up here, but um, when they changed the away goal rule last season uh, at first, I was in, I was a little bit skeptical. I thought that created a lot of great drama, um, but then other types of great drama was created as a result of it. So what are your thoughts uh, real quick on change on that change? Well, I actually, I did an episode on it because I, I like it. Um, when you look at the statistical evidence, it didn't, the, the away goals rule didn't increase goals. So if that already is what we're going to go at, then I think the other thing that was hilarious to me was there were people on social media that I saw people being like, it's going to take away all of the drama. I'm like, what drama? you just have to score more goals than the other team to win. I mean, it's pretty simple. Right. Like, I don't like, it's literally the team that scores more wins, like no extra equations, no right. this or that it's. And what you see is it becomes such a pure thing that teams, teams were getting scored on at home and then just going after it for the rest of the game, mm-hmm. or they right. would go after it from the opening whistle. Whereas home teams, a lot of the time used to be like, yeah, we don't want to concede. And so, right. Look, I, I, I think the numbers were also the, I think the numbers showed that there were more goals scored in the knockout stages than prior seasons. Right. So, and, and that there was a bigger share of home and away. So I, I liked it from the very get-go and it didn't seem to change the game. Just, I don't think five subs is going to make like a horrible difference. I think that it'll just, I, I do think five is a good limit. I don't think we need to go to where you can change every play no. on the field. No. Um, but people also said three is a good limit 20 years ago. So who knows where yeah. we'll end up with that. Right. The one thing I will say, you, you mentioned on the champions league, because I, you said there's a couple teams that are, that are in, under a lot of pressure. I, I think Man City would be my bronze medalist for most amount of pressure because they seem to lose in unfortunate ways. <laughs> Second yeah. would be PSG because the obsession is clear, but also the roadmap that they have to try and win the Champions League seems all over the place, seems filled with just spending on whoever, and their losses have been actually pretty damning when they've been knocked out yes 
But I don't think there's any question it has to be Barcelona because their entire financial future depends on them doing well. Like this Mm -hmm. team cannot like not do well. They have to get out of the group stage and they're in the group of death. So, yeah, it's it's very that's why I'm so intrigued with what Barcelona did this summer. What, you know, we calling them Levers FC, just one financial decision after another to put, put things off to try and just can we build a super team? You know, I said Juan Laporta went full. Uh, Florentino Perez, right? Yeah. And speaking of Florentino Perez, and you just mentioned the Super League, for anyone, if especially based in the United States, if you have Peacock, because you have to if you're going to watch the Premier League, there is the documentary on there called Super Greed, and it's about the Super uh-huh. League. So if you haven't seen it, watch it. I watched it a few nights ago. It is really good. Um, kind of takes you back to a really crazy like four days where everything yes. was like, oh, is the game about to be destroyed forever? Oh. So yeah, highly I'll recommend check it that out. One. I haven't really, seen it yet. Yeah. yeah check out. Uh, yeah. Just it's super greed. That's the name of it on, on, on uh, Peacock. That's where I'm right. at. Yeah. And then uh, of course, also for any other movies out there, people who love football movies, El Caso Figo, the, uh, the Luis Figo story. Yes. The transfer to Barcelona just dropped on Netflix. That is also really good. So. All right. Well, I'll check it out. I, I, um, I started watching another one. Welcome to Wrexham. Yep. Um, this week they dropped two episodes a week. Uh, that's a fun story. Um, for anybody who doesn't know Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhaney buying Wrexham FC in Wales. Uh, that was a really good one. So they that that was I don't know well, if you, if you listen that. to the athletic podcast, you've been bombarded by enough announcements that oh you, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. I'm actually my plan is to actually uh start that. I, I wanted to show it to my girlfriend because she she liked Ted Lasso and I was like, we need to watch this because this is like the real life Ted Lasso thing. Yes. Like this will be more more based in the community side and how they integrated with everybody at the club. So yeah, I'm excited to get that started yeah. too. I'm, I'll catch up to you on that. Well, Jake, we got to get our days started because we're, you know, this is not the only thing that we do with our time. <laughs> so Jake Marchesani of the Socrates podcast, tell people where they can find you. I love your show. I think people should definitely listen to what you do. You've got a great analytical view of the game. So Thank you so much. Yes, um, you can find the Socrates podcast uh, anywhere you like to listen. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, um, Google Podcasts. You can follow us on Instagram, Socrates pod, underscore podcast, uh, S-O-C-C-E-R-T-E-S. And yes, it is a play on words for Socrates. And uh, we're just having fun with it. We want to kind of take the discussion of our our sport to another level and uh, hopefully we do that and anybody who listens to you um, can find us there and tune in uh, thanks for having me this was a lot of fun i'm i'm, I'm stoked <laughs>